Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Ben-Hadad stands before Ahab, and uh, he says, oh, he's my brother, you know, like, so Ahab says that Ben-Hadad is, so he heard that Ben-Hadad was alive, and so in verse 32, he says, oh, Ben-Hadad's still alive? He is my brother. <laughs> Wait a minute, the guy was just going to take your wife, your kids, and all your wealth, but he's your brother? See, when you don't, when you're fighting the Lord, you don't think right. So the men watched closely, and they, 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 brought, they told Ben-Hadad, hey, he says you're his brother, let's go. So they, he goes before Ahab. Ahab makes a treaty with him, verse 34, he makes a treaty, and they, they actually make a business agreement. Hey, you'll set up your market here like my dad set up his market there, and let's shake hands, let's make money together. So he makes an alliance and a treaty with the very people that were trying to destroy God's people earlier that year on two different occasions, including just the previous week. If the Syrians had been successful against the northern kingdom, they would have taken all the loot, taken the women, they would have raped, murdered, pillaged across the board. That's what they would have done. And here's Ahab like, well, you know, we're, we're, you know, Semitic people. Like, you know, he's my brother. Let's get it. Hey, you know, like, okay. Well, that doesn't go well with the Lord. So in verses 35 to the end of the chapter 43, God sends uh, a certain man of the sons of the prophets. So this could be the man of God could be a different one. So this could even be a third guy. But he shows up, and he basically says, you know, he puts a bandage over his eye and makes up this story to let Ahab say what is self-condemning of himself. See, basically, the prophet, this man says, hey, I was told to guard this person in the battle because, you know, once you guard them, you're accountable for their life. And so if you lose them, then what they were facing, you face. And so he says, and he escaped when I wasn't paying attention. And Ahab's like, well, that's, you know, you let him escape. That's on you. That's your deal. And then the prophet takes the bandage off. He goes, it's me, the prophet. You don't like me. Ahab's like, oh, no, it's one of those guys. And he says, hey, because you let Ben-Hadad go, verse 42, thus says the Lord, because you've let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. Wow. So the king went away, you know. That wasn't good news. That'll take the, the part, that'll take the part, that'll take the unplugged the DJ board, right? Party's over. It's, just, it's like handwriting on the wall with Belshazzar. Hey, the party's over. This is, everyone's like, this phrase is very profound in verse 42. Because you let live, because you let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, your life will go for his life, your people for his people. Now, we know in the Old Testament, this is that context where this is real war in the realm of time, space, and matter. These enemies really want to destroy God's people who God has put there. So we understand that context. But as we come to the New Testament, and we think like, well, what, you know, what's the application here? If we're going to learn life lessons from Ahab, like, so he didn't destroy. God says because you didn't destroy. I don't like destroying things. I definitely don't like death, right? Like, I just, I just, you all know I don't like death at all. Uh, But I just don't like it, because where we're going, there is no death. There's just no death. There's just, there's just no death. Not even, you know, 
There's just no death. Like, no, nothing's dying in eternity. Everything's the animal kingdom, all that's there. It's, it's a different dimension. It's different function, different way it works. And there is no death. And I'm looking forward to that. So when you say something has to die, like, I don't like anything dying. You know, like, people we love die. Our dogs die. It just rips our heart out when our animals die. It's just like, oh, just it's gut-wrenching, you know? And I, I cried when my guinea pig died, when Charlie died. I'm just, I still get sad when I think about Charlie not out there in the backyard. Like, I, you know, like... If we're trying to catch a rodent, I don't have the death trap. I got like the catch and rescue trap, you know? Like release them behind the field there by mothers and beach bull. Like, hey, good luck, you know? Squeak, squeak, squeaker, squeaker. You know, here's some dog food for the first few days, all right? Go get them, you know? I just don't like death. I don't like it at all. In the New Testament, we'll come back to this, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, I've been talking about this because I had an epiphany on this, where the person who prophesies, the woman of the man, they speak things that are edifying, um, exhortative, and comforting. And I just had this full epiphany last week thinking about that. That whenever the Lord is speaking, listen to me, when the Lord is speaking, he's building up, he's stirring up, or he's lifting up. When the Lord is speaking in his word, in it, through his word, in, to his church, to his church, he's going he's gonna to build up, he's going to stir up, or he's going to lift up. That's what he's going to do. So that's what I like. I like New Testament, you know, the kingdom, Jesus on the throne. It's all, you know, unicorns and happy days. That's what we're going toward. So when I read, like, ah, you got to, like, you should have killed this guy. But because I appointed him for destruction, Ben-Hadad was under capital punishment from the Lord. He's like a capital punishment murder criminal that has to be executed, and they let him go. Kind of like what we watched the last few years when people destroy stuff and they're out on the streets a day later, right? Like, how does that work? Okay, well, I don't know, but that's not my, that's not my lane. But, you know, hopefully they put him back away. Bad people go to bad places. That's part of God's design that criminals aren't allowed to uh, impose their will on innocent people that are law-abiding according to God's universe. But Ben-Hadad was appointed to death, and he was released. In fact, not only was he released after all the threats against God's people, he's now in a business relationship with the people he's trying to destroy. <laughs> but, you know, looking ahead to preview of coming attractions, Syria keeps coming after Israel in every generation of future kings. So we're not done with Syria, uh, Syria and kings, second kings, and the chronicles. These guys, they just keep coming. Look at Israel today. It's just, it just goes on and on and on until the Lord comes back. So the real application we have to say is, okay, what's the application for us? What is God telling us to destroy that we didn't destroy, and now because we didn't destroy it, it's going to destroy us? Oh, now that's New Testament. Because we're told that the spirit and the flesh, they war against each other. Our new life in Christ, when we come to Christ, the spirit comes and dwells us, and the spirit wars against the flesh, our selfish, sinful nature. And we're to reckon the old woman, the old man dead. And our entire journey with Jesus is the spirit taking dominion over our life and our thoughts. Because he who sets our mind on the spirit uh, fulfills the things of the spirit. And they walk according to the spirit, Romans 8 says. And so there's this battle. And if we don't proactively crucify ourselves, because Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let them deny themselves and pick up their cross. The call to Christ is crucifixion, to follow Christ. And it's crucifixion of that which offends, which is our pride, our flesh, and our worldly lust. 
That's why we're told in 1 John chapter 2 that whoever loves, whoever loves the world, the love of Christ is not in him. Not the world of people that we love in the world that don't know the Lord, but the world system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus, Adam sinned in these areas and brought death on all of us. We're all dying. Things are going wrong in our life physically from here to eternity because in Adam all sin and all die. Jesus came, the second Adam, who defeated Satan in those three areas of temptation, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. He had victory so we can have victory. Those three things will destroy us and they'll have us cast out from God's presence The victory in Christ will liberate us and set us free and have us growing in the glory of God's presence. So these things have to be... They're under a death sentence. My pride, my flesh, the lust of my eyes. And the world system that appeals to it is not to have dominion over us. And the devil who uses these things, because the devil uses the world for temptation, and he tries to tempt us in one of these three categories. Every failure of sin comes from the flow chart of one of those three things. So if we think about, okay, Ahab didn't destroy what he's supposed to destroy, so if we come to Christ, what are we supposed to destroy? The person that was dunked in the water when you're baptized, that's who. Water baptism is so beautiful when you get like the full under, you know, like when you're you know, in the ocean or the Dean's pool and you go under, it represents that person is dead. For an Adam all sin and die. So when you come out of the water, that represents the new woman, the new man. That's the life we're called to live. So if we're walking that life and living that life and going out things in the spirit, but then we go back to the world, then now we're resurrecting the one that was drowned in the water. We're bringing back the dead. We're lifting up that corpse. That's really what it's like to, you know, to, because our identity is in Christ and that's what baptism represents. So when we walk after our pride, our flesh, and the lust of our eyes, we're just bringing the dead person back to our own demise and own destruction. So when we think about how we destroy what God's called to destroy is, well, again, Romans 12 says, you know, to present ourselves a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind and present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. So it's that we die daily. So the idea is that, hey, we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, we pursue the things of the Spirit, we're going forward, onward, and upward. And we're going towards the Lord. We're going in the things of the Lord. See, our allegiance, our collaborations, our friendships are with the Lord. They're with the angels. They're with the glory. They're with the kingdom. They're with the immortal body, the glorified body. That's, what our, that's our allegiance. That's what we're going toward. So that's what we're moving toward. And as long as we're moving toward that, we will continue to execute the death sentence on things that are contrary to the Lord. So we're not going to let a, a root of bitterness come in our heart with malice and anger and wrath. We're not going to give way to the flesh. Or when we have failures, we're not going to let those failures define us, but we're going to seek forgiveness. We're going to be cleansed and we're going to go forward from those things. He made friendship with the very thing that would destroy him. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this, and I quote this fairly often the flesh is never satisfied. You can't make any kind of a peace deal or treaty with the flesh. It just, it, the flesh wants to reign. You give the flesh a quarter acre, the flesh wants a half acre. You give the flesh one house in your neighborhood, the flesh wants to own all the houses on the cul-de-sac. You give the flesh a country, he, the flesh isn't satisfied, it wants to rule the world. 
That's how the flesh works. So we have to, we have to execute the death sentence on that which is contrary to the Lord, most contrary to the Lord in our life, and that is our pride, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. That's what we need to do. Ben-Hadad didn't destroy it. We need to. Now, the third incident with Ben-Hadad, so the first two involved the Syrians, battle number one, battle number two, and in both cases, different voices speaking for the Lord. In both cases, the Lord saying, you shall know that I'm the Lord. It was an invitation Two chances to make it right with the Lord. But the third situation, he crossed a line with the Lord. He crossed a boundary, and it was not a good ending. In chapter 21 is the story of Naboth's vineyard. It's just one of those chapters you don't like to read about in the Bible because it's an injustice. Because Ahab coveted the vineyard of his neighbor, Naboth, and he said, sell it to me. I'll buy it, I'll cash you out on it, or I'll trade you other property. And Naboth said, well, you know, that property is my parents. It's an inheritance. And we all know that every inheritance in Israel came from the Lord. Because when Joshua came into the promised land, they divvied the land up by the tribes. The lot belongs to the Lord. They cast lots. So that Naboth owns this land and has a well-tended vineyard, so much so that the king's coveting it, is the result of him receiving inheritance and being fruitful with that inheritance. He's a good steward of what he received. His property is desirable. And he's like, well, no, the Lord gave it to us. It's for my for others, and um, I'm going to give it to my descendants. like, no. I mean, can you imagine saying no to some of our people in power in America these days? No. Look how people got in the last two years over just craziness. There's still laws that tell people in power in America, no. But they would like to remove those laws. You'd like to say, hey, no, that's not right. That's not, that's not science. That's not this. That's not that. That's not, no, that's not constitutional. That's not biblical. No. But if they can come in and say, yes, that's how the Soviet Union worked. That's how the Communist Party in China works. You know, they just got more power last week. If you didn't see that, they didn't more power. You just, that's what totalitarian tyranny people do. And you'd like to think, you say, no, that's an injustice. Look, God's word says, this is my property. And God gave it to me. See, it's right here. Book of Joshua. The law, the land is my, is my land, is my land. I'm not selling it to you. That's why we have good judges. That's why we have good courts in Israel. So even the king can't come say, give me your land. You just can't do that. And the king's like, well, that's not how it works around here. He goes home, has a pity party. Jezebel, who could care less about the God of Israel, because she's still mad about the prophets of Baal being killed. She says, I'll get it for you. Writes a letter in his name, puts a stamp of seal on it, sends it to the village people. Say, hey, get two scoundrels, make them lie, say that, Say that uh, Naboth badmouthed the king and God. Oh, the evil are so crafty. And, when, and then stone him. Take him out. Just kill him right there. And they did it. And then she went to her husband. Ahab said, hey, you know, it's all good now. He's gone. It's your land. Go, go claim your land. What does he do? He goes and claims the land. He goes and claims the vineyard. He didn't put the plan together as wife did, but he claimed the vineyard. And on that, he crossed a line. He murdered Naboth in cold blood. But he never, see, here's something interesting, because if you think about it, David murdered Uriah, because I've been thinking about this, okay? David murdered Uriah, but he found all kinds of mercy with the Lord, all kinds of forgiveness and restoration, because David always received correction from the Lord and had a heart for the Lord, and in the end, he loved the Lord and his people. Ahab never had a heart for the Lord, didn't love the Lord, didn't love the Lord's people. He could care less, and there's, therein is a difference if you connect those thoughts. 
So God sends Elijah to him. And in verse 17 of this chapter, 21, it says, the word of the, Lord came to Elijah, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, you have, murdered and also take, have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? See, that's the irony of these two stories because he called Ben-Hadad his brother who was his enemy and the one who's looking out for his best interest, Elijah, he calls him his enemy. And the Bible says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. The voice of truth is always truth. You can always find people willing to tell you what you want here, but what you really need is God's word and people that love the Lord telling you what you need to hear. You can always know if it's true or not, just by the way. So sad. Like when parents, when kids would rebel against their parents, going after drugs and violence and crime with their friends and their, their parents that were good parents suddenly are, are, are bad and their friends are good. It's, it's the, you know, like it's so hard to see that and I've seen a lot of it in 61 years of human experience. God forbid that any of us in this room would not know truly who our friend is and who our enemy is. Jesus is our friend and those who are yoked in line with Jesus are our friends. And our enemies may be our enemies, and we're called to love them and forgive them, but we're not called to be under their influence and under their manipulation and their control. And we're definitely not called to be under their worldview and have it forced upon us in our hearts and personal convictions. Oh, have you found me, oh, my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because, see, in the rebuke after he let Ben-Hadad live, he said, the, the man of God said, because. So God gave him a because. It's like you're standing in a court of law because you ran the red light, because you killed someone. Here it says, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to bring calamity on you, your household, and everything else. And then we get a summary verse in verse 25 where it says a little farther down, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And that's the way it was. So this final lesson from Ahab is he was sold to do evil. You sold yourself, verse 20, to do evil. And then it says in verse 25, in a summary, no one like Ahab sold himself to do wickedness because Jezebel stirred him up. So he was sold to do evil. He was sold to do wickedness. He was all in. I'm sold out. Like, you know, when you're all in, you're sold out, right? Like, when you have a business plan, and it's a good one. And you, you just sold out. It's a, it's a spirit of being an entrepreneur. You know, like you just sold out. Like you're sold out. When you're in love with someone, like I'm sold out. When I had my dream to win the Pipe Masters, I'm sold out. My whole life is Pipe Masters. I'm all in. I'm sold out. Sold out is all. I'm all in. It's every chip on the table. Like at a poker game. I'm, I'm sold out. All in. That's what he did with evil and wickedness. And we're told he was led that way by those he let influence him most particularly and specifically his evil wife, Jezebel. Which reminds us that the Bible tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. A basic principle, universal law in God's universe, is evil people will take good people and corrupt them for evil if they hang out with them. All the statistics show that 
people who get involved in drugs, smoking, drugs, alcohol, abuse, uh, all these things, they surround themselves with people who do that, and you just stay with them a little bit, and you're going to go the same way. I used to tell people when I first it was in junior high that I was allergic to marijuana. I could never smoke weed. I'm like, now I'm allergic to it because I had all kinds of allergies. So I used it as an excuse. But I hung out with the same crew of guys every weekend, high school football games, this, that, and everything else. And sure enough, soon enough, you know, you're going to try it and you're going to do it. And then you're going to be a little stoner and get expelled from high school in your sophomore year. That's what's going to happen. See, the devil uses people, influences, ideologies to stir us up for evil and sell ourselves out against the Lord and be sold out for wickedness. And so we're reminded that as we watch people, even in our generation, sold out for wickedness, where they just go over the top with wickedness. And like, who does that? Who takes a day off from work to go stand on a street corner in San Diego with 10 people and just scream at people over this thing or that thing? When it's contrary to the Lord. It's such a bad look on the day of the Lord when the books are open in Revelation 20. It's just, oh, you think like, oh, these people are frustrated. And they're like, well, actually, they're just going to do what they're going to do because the books are going to be open in Revelation 20. And that highlight is going to be played. This is what you did on this day in 2022. You went downtown San Diego and you screamed at people and, and you were deranged and self-deceived and delusional and against the Lord. You were sold out for evil. People in power of influence, people in, people in educational influence, uh, political influence, and these things, and, and judicial influence, where they're sold out for evil. They can't just say, a woman's a woman and a man's a man. They just, like, they're sold out for evil. It's just, ah, oh, it's so contrary to the kingdom, the universe, and the coming glory. And you can't help them in most cases. So what we need to learn from people that are sold out for evil is to be sold out for righteousness. To be sold out for the kingdom, to be sold out for truth, and not be moved from it under any circumstance, no matter how much exterior pressure is. Surround ourselves, fill our mind, pump the pump, if you will, with the word of God. Every day, the truth, the truth, the truth, the word, the word, the word, the word, the truth, the truth, the truth. Fill our mind with the things of the kingdom. Fill our minds with the things that build us up and stir us up and lift us up. Be kingdom-minded and not let these people at war with God influence our mind and fill our mind with their poison and their darkness and their negativity against the truth of God's coming glory and kingdom. That's what we got to do. And we have to proactively do it. Because if you don't fill your mind and your heart with the kingdom, you're going to go out in the world and people are just going to dump on you all the garbage and trash of false views, satanically inspired views, and this garbage, and they just want to wear you down, wear you down, wear you down until you say, okay, it's all right, until you say, yeah, I can do that too, until you say, let's all do it together, and then you don't even know where you're at when it's said and done. That's how it works. We need to be faithful and strong in the Lord and sold out for the Lord and we, at all costs, must avoid being sold out for evil and surrounding ourselves with people and influences for evil. What we read, what we hear, needs to be edifying and encouraging and moving us toward the glory. I don't have time to listen to demented, demonically inspired and deceived people to let them influence me, my worldview, and the value of my life this day and the time that this day represents. I don't have time for it. In fact, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time letting that already happen in my life. And I have no intention of letting it shape me, mold me, influence me, or distract me from my kingdom objectives from now to the day of Christ Jesus. And I would just say, hopefully, you're the same way with yes and amen. 
Jezebel stirred him for evil. If we look at our life and anyone is putting anything into our life and touching our lives with their fingerprints that is not building up, stirring up, or lifting up, then in Jesus' name, you got to put some boundaries and you got to keep it out of your, your space with the king. Because with the king, it's forward, onward, and upward. And there's just not enough time. Most people waste their lives because they let their minds be filled with the influence of ungodly people, stirring them up for evil, and poison their mind against righteousness. There's just no time for it. Life is so short. We need to be sold for righteousness and sold for the Lord. And those are the lessons of Ahab. And I suppose it's a great application to take from two chapters about a man I would never want to be anything like, ever emulate, or, or I just don't even like to read about this man. But if I can learn from his mistakes, then if we can learn from his mis- mistakes, and it's good for us, and we have a future and a hope in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.